Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at three verses from the book of 2 Timothy. Yesterday, Drew Cook led our young men, many of them, in a consideration of how to win the battle over impurity in their lives. And part of this passage that I'm reading today and going to be teaching from was a centerpiece of the teaching that he and Chris Smith and I were privileged to share with the young men. And this passage has relevance to all ages of people, not just those who are young among us. We're going to look at verses 21, 20 actually, through 22 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible and ask you to join me in reading from whatever version you have handy. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Has anyone ever said to you that you won't ever amount to anything? Or you're just good for nothing? Has anyone ever said something like that to you? Those are harsh words, aren't they? And they are words which actually leave an indelible impression upon our souls many times. They're withering words. But the good news for us who know Jesus Christ is they are irrelevant words. Because what God says to us in many places in His Word, and particularly in this passage of Scripture, is you are good for something. And not just any old something, I might add. You are good to be used by God. God wants to use us. That comes through loudly and clearly in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at verse 21 again. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. Just how far in advance may be seen in the way God addresses people like Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. It's unlikely that any of us will fulfill the same sort of role which Jeremiah fulfilled. But we know what David said about himself, that before there was one day in his life, God had written in his book the things which God had ordained for him every day of his life. As if to say, God had a plan for his life, which he did. And the Bible says when God had fulfilled his purpose in David, in David's generation, then David fell asleep. That is to say, he went to be with the Lord in heaven. You and I were thought of by God before we were even created. We could even go so far as to say in his omniscience, in eternity, he envisioned who you and I would be. And he saw us being used by him if we follow what this passage of Scripture tells us. The association with him must begin in a personal relationship with him. But once we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we are fit to be used by God. The 19th century German poet, dramatist, philosopher Goethe wrote these words. A useless life is an early death. He must have had some sense of that in his own life. He was a very productive person, but there must have been moments in his life when he felt rather useless. Many people, maybe even people in the room this morning, die on the inside long before they die physically because they sense uselessness in their lives. There's good reason for that, those feelings of uselessness, 
if they lead to despair. But the good news for us today is, if you know Jesus Christ, you were made for a purpose. You were made to matter. Your life was made to count. That's good news, isn't it? Christ is saying to us today, make yourself useful. But He's also saying, you're a person who is good for something that will last forever. So who can be useful to the Master? We'll look again at our text at verse 20. Now, in a large house, this is referring to the church of Jesus Christ, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Any vessel in the church of Jesus Christ, and the word vessel has to do with individuals, any individual in the church of Jesus Christ can be useful to the Lord. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 about this matter. He said, we have this treasure. He's talking about the presence of the Spirit of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If you think you don't have much to offer to the Lord, think again. Christ is in you. He has chosen to take up residence in your life, and He wants to live His life through you. And the more unlikely a candidate you may think you are to be used by God, the more potential glory God can get from your life. You are not disqualified by any kind of human perspective on your life. You are qualified because of the presence of the Spirit in your life. Someone has taken that verse that I mentioned from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay and says that God uses only cracked pots. So the glory can get through. Very ordinary people we might see ourselves as being. But God's glory comes shining through our lives if we follow what He has to say. Whether you're a formal piece of earthenware work or a, a rather ordinary piece, you're one for honor and some for dishonor. This is talking about the kind of eatery in a person's home in this case. What we need to understand is God can use you. If you're old or young, male or female, it does not matter. Let me give you two examples. An older female and a much younger male. Their stories are recorded in the Bible. The woman, her story is found in Luke chapter 2 in the New Testament. Her name is Anna. You may remember that Anna, after seven years of marriage, was widowed. And until the age of 84, and some would suggest, and I tend to lean in this direction, that the language of Luke chapter 2 as it refers to her age would indicate that she lived 84 years after her husband died. That would mean 91 years after she married. You might say that's impossible. Well, maybe it is. Maybe that's why some people want to say she was only 84 years old when Mary and Joseph took the infant Jesus to the temple to dedicate him according to the Jewish law. But even at that, 84 years of age is pretty old, wouldn't you say? And we see her waiting at the temple. She stayed there day and night anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And lo and behold, late in her life, here he comes. And she pronounces a prophecy over him and encourages his mother in particular with this prophecy. You see, you can be old, whether male or female, and continue to be used by God until you and I draw our last breath. We still have the potential to be used by the Lord. Why? Because He lives in us and He chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in His sight. The idea of holiness, of course, is to be set apart, even in this passage of Scripture. Look again at verse 21. The Scripture says, If we cleanse ourselves from these things, we will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. That word is made holy, set apart for God's use. Some of you might sense in your own life and feel that you have been damaged to the degree 
that you could not be used by God. And maybe it's self-inflicted damage in your life. Well, please understand that sin is serious. Any sort of sin is serious. And it's serious because, according to what David says in Psalm 51, in his penitential confession to the Lord, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. My sin, when I sin, is primarily against the Lord. We need to bear this in mind as we think about that. However, there is no sin in the life of a believer that God cannot forgive if the person is sincerely sorry for the sin and repents and confesses that sin to the Lord. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. The Bible says, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. God says in the book of Isaiah, their sin I have put behind my back once it's been confessed and repented of. What that suggests to me, and I think it probably does to you too, that once the Lord puts it behind His back, He doesn't look back. He doesn't go searching for the sin. It is gone. And therefore we, who may have disappointed God deeply by our rebellion against Him, if we return to Him, God can use us again. And some of the people in this room probably feel like, They are useless because of something they had done in the past. Get rid of that baggage today. Give it to the Lord. Repent of it if you're still practicing it. And see what God will do in and through your life. This next comment I'm going to make about the kind of vessels which the Lord uses is very important. Laymen or clergymen. Now, I hope I don't have to persuade you today that really in the Bible there is no distinction, in the New Testament in particular, there is no distinction between what we say are lay people and clergy people. There is no distinction whatsoever. In fact, the word from which the word lay or laity or lay person is derived, that word in the original language of the New Testament, listen to it, it's laos. It's the word people. The word laos, and from that word in the Greek language comes the family of words that have to do with being a lay person or part of the laity. We are all the people of God, would you agree? Some people have been given responsibilities that appear to be more important than others in the body of Christ. But I would submit to you this morning that the whole body needs to work together. And just because maybe I have been given a gift to teach the Bible does not make me any more significant than you if you have a gift for service, a gift that may be considered by you and others, for that matter, as being rather nondescript. Whether you have a speaking gift or a serving gift, the gift has been given to you and to me for serving the body and building up the body of Christ to glorify the Lord. Well, here's a figure that some of you will remember. Some of you think of him every once in a while because you see him being interviewed in some sports network. His name is Randy Johnson. Anybody know the name Randy Johnson? He pitched what was only the 17th perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball when he was 40 years old. That's a remarkable feat for a person of any age playing baseball as a pitcher. What that means is he only faced 27 batters in a nine-inning game, nine times three outs, 27, and none of those batters got on base. He could have walked maybe more than one and gotten double plays and still faced only 27, but he didn't even walk a batter. That is incredible to think about. And he pitched this perfect game. It was his sixth no hitter, and he joined a very small and elite group of pitchers who had won no hit games in both the American League and the National League. After he had this perfect game, listen to what he said. I love the history of the game, and I enjoy learning what those old timers have done. He's an old timer himself now, by the way. 
These days I'm greatly humbled by what I've been able to accomplish between the lines. With each passing season, I'm realizing that any history I'm making has not been done by my own strength. The Lord has taught me to accept the peaks and valleys and try to do my best to get the most out of my ability. I understand that the Lord is in charge of our destiny and that the blessings I've been given could come and go at any moment. That knowledge has helped me mentally prepare to be the best pitcher I can be. Do you see how this man, Randy Johnson, is a vessel for honor to the Lord? Certainly, it's clear. God wants to use you as his vessel. He has one basis, according to this passage, and other passages in the Bible for that, that you are a clean vessel. Now, I hope it's apparent that I'm a man. Some people think there's male, female, and then there are pastors. Well, I just want you to know, (laughs) I am a man. I'm a male. And when it comes to eating, I like to eat. I like to eat a variety of foods. I love food. And quite frankly, I don't care whether I'm eating out of a paper plate or a plastic plate or everyday china or fine china. I don't give a hoot what I'm eating out of. With this caveat, I want it to be clean. I don't want to be eating off a dirty plate. And God takes all kinds of plates, if you will, all kinds of dishes, as it relates to us as various kind of vessels in the body of Christ, and He uses all of them, and to His glory and to His delight He uses us, provided we are clean. That's this idea Conveyed in the scripture in verse 21. We're reading it now for the third time. If a person cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. That is, used by the Lord. Honor for the Lord. Sanctified. We've looked at that. Set apart for God's use. Made clean. Useful to the master. Those are beautiful words to me. Useful to the master. Prepared for every good work. Think about it. The master of the church, Jesus, the one through whom all things came into being, according to John, in his introductory remarks in the prologue of the Gospel of John, the one, according to the book of Colossians chapter 1, who holds everything together. This universe would fly apart at the seams were it not for the maintaining work of Jesus Christ. Useful to the Master. We are useful individually to the Master if we know Him and yield ourselves to Him by sanctifying ourselves. Now, the question would be, who really makes us clean? Do we make ourselves clean or does God make us clean? Well, yes. The answer is yes to either of those and both of those questions. However, fundamentally, it is He who makes us clean. He's the one who takes the initiative to redeem us, to forgive us of our sin. He's the one who really sanctifies us. If we were to go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, this is what we would read. He speaks to the people of Israel. He says, sanctify yourselves and be holy. For I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That sounds like double talk, doesn't it? Sanctify yourselves. And be holy. That sounds like that's my responsibility. And it is because the Bible teaches that. For I am the Lord who sanctifies you. In the book of Ezekiel, we get some insight as to how this works. When God says, I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you to move you to be careful to follow my decrees. So the very work of God in giving me a heart transplant. I'm dead with a hard heart, a stone-cold heart, a heart that is wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can understand it is what Jeremiah says. And here the Holy Spirit comes and He regenerates me. There's a heart removal. That old cold heart of stone is not just 
breathed on and made alive, it is taken out and done away with and is replaced by a new heart. That's why Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what God has done in us if we know Christ. This is how Christ can use you and me to bring honor and glory to himself. This is a great gospel, isn't it? The Spirit of God in me is the one who initiates the interest in me to obey the Lord, to be clean before the Lord. And He cleans me up as I yield myself to Him. So it is my responsibility to clean myself, but it's the Lord's working in me to motivate me to do that and give me the tools to clean myself. What is the primary tool? that God gives us to get clean before Him. It's the Word of God. When Paul is teaching about husband-wife relationships, he talks about how Jesus sanctifies the church by washing of the water of the Word of God. This is how we clean ourselves up. We come before the Lord. We take the Word that we have At our fingertips, we ask the Spirit of God to teach us. He teaches us, and then He leads us in the way we should go. I love what David says in Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do Your will, O God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. Notice David did not pray to the Lord, Teach me what Your will is. Inherent in what he said would be that request. David knew the will of God. And most of us who've been around for a while, we know the will of God. We ignore the Scripture's teaching to our own peril. And we, in a sense, are like those people whom Goethe talked about as a result of it. We live in despair. There was a term which the Middle Ages theologians used for half-hearted commitment to God. It is the Latin word ascidia. And the word ascidia speaks of a sort of free-floating depression that people who know Christ but do not follow Him wholeheartedly experience in their lives. Do you ever sense this in your life? Remember what Elijah, Elijah excuse me, said to the people of Israel on Mount Carmel when he was about to face off the, with the 450 prophets of the false Canaanite god Baal. He said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. In other words, get off the fence. Quit straddling the fence. And we have a tendency to want to straddle the fence as followers of Christ at times. We want to have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world. It just doesn't work that way. It leads to this sense of... Emptiness and gnawing depression in our lives. So we need to understand, we need to respond to God. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. That's the way we get right with God. Letting Him take the Word of God to cleanse me. Well, specifically, I'm going to seek with you an answer to a question. How do we cleanse ourselves? By the Word of God, we know that. But in this particular context, when Paul is speaking to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, who was struggling with this matter, evidently, he says two things in answer to the question. If Timothy had said, how do I cleanse myself, Paul? First of all, he says in verse 22, flee from youthful lusts. The word translated flee, obviously a command, but it was a command which meant make this a lifestyle. Whenever you're faced with the temptation to dive into youthful lust, flee. Run like crazy, is what he was saying. Escape. Look for a way out. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out. If you and I are eager to be clean before God, to be pure before God, we just need to be on the lookout for the way out. 
Because the Lord always gives it. If you want it, be sure He will give you the way out. And then once we see the way out, we need to run like crazy to flee any temptation which we face. What are the desires of youth? What are these youthful lusts? Well, generally speaking, I'm going to speak in generalities now, and you can fill in the blanks. Hopefully the Spirit of God will do that for you. Paul talks about these in the third chapter. He said, in the last days there will be terrible times, and he talks about three general kinds of lovers. Men will be lovers of self, they will be lovers of money, and they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. As I was contemplating that, I thought how this parallels what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, where he says, if you love the world, you're in a collision course for disaster. And he said the world can be divided into three broad categories, first of which is the lust of the eyes. That would be wanting things that don't belong to you or wanting things which do not belong to me. That corresponds to being a lover of money and the things which money can buy. He goes on to say the lust of the flesh, which would be lovers of pleasure. And we see this in this teaching. And then the last thing, he says, is the boastful pride of life, which would be the lovers of self. Now think about this. I'm a lover of myself way too often. Way too often. Of those three areas, that's the one I've had the greatest trouble with in my spiritual life. And to this day, this is the part of the flesh that really appeals to me more than any other part. To really want to be somebody. Well, how could you be any better than being a child of God? How could there be anything greater than being useful to the Master? And when we understand our position in relationship to the Master, He is our King. And He is not only our King, He says, No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his Master is doing. But I have called you friend, the Master of the universe, Master of the church, Master of my life wants me not simply to be his servant, and he does want that for you and me, but he wants me for his intimate, to be his friend. What a joy it is. We must guard against this matter of loving ourselves. That's why Jesus says in his call to follow him, he says, If anyone wants to come after me, the first thing he says is, let him deny himself. Self-denial is difficult because we love ourselves, right? Sukarno, some of you will recall the name, blast from the past. For many decades, he was the dictator of Indonesia. In a moment of great transparency, giving an interview, he said, I love my country, I love my women among Those people in Indonesia, he had many women. But most of all, he said, I love myself. And that could be our own testimony. We need to not be lovers of self. And when a person is young particularly, that is a big hurdle to cross. And if something is not done in one's youth, it gets more difficult and more difficult and even almost impossible to get over that hurdle the older we get because we have become very used to to catering to ourselves and worshiping our own lives as opposed to worshiping the one true God. Lovers of money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And you could probably attest to that, how many times you have been drawn to money. And money has such an attraction. And we are drawn to people with money. Isn't that interesting? We want to hang around with people who have more money than we do. And it's just because of that great drawing power of money. But please bear this in mind. Bear in mind what Job said when he thought he was on the brink of death. He said, Naked I came forth from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know... 
I'm not taking anything out of this world. There are only two things which are going to outlast this world. You know what they are? Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Jesus also would strongly suggest, the Bible is clear on this, that people are going to outlast this world. So it would be wise on my part, as well as yours, to invest our lives in the Word of God and people. Because they're going to be in heaven. All this stuff is not going to be... This is all going to burn up. It's amazing. It's all going to burn up, and there's going to be something much better. And we need to start now laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. This is what the Lord would say to us in this matter. Lovers of pleasure. I think of Moses as he is described by the writer of Hebrews in the 11th chapter. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace, perhaps even being groomed to become the Pharaoh himself. Certainly he was considered royalty. He had everything that any young man would want. And this is what the Scripture says. As he approached the age of 40, he made a big decision. And this is what is written in Hebrews 11.25. Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. Sin is pleasant. That's what the Bible says. And we know it, right? It's pleasant for a moment. But then we live with the fallout of a lifestyle of rebellion and sinfulness against God. We need to flee these desires of youth. And as they encroach on middle age and then old age, we need to be alert. We can never quit being alert. I'm sure Timothy, as he progressed from being a young man to being a middle-aged man, and we don't know exactly how long he lived, but maybe certainly in those days into old age, I'm sure he thought back, I bet he would pick up this letter, this personal letter. Can you imagine how valuable this was to him? This personal letter from God through Paul. And he would look at these words and he would be reminded, I've got to do what God says if you want to be useful to the Master. I've got to make a habit and maintain a habit of fleeing from youthful desires. And at the same time, I must look positively at this matter of cleansing myself by following godly desires. Psalm 37, 4, the Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and what He will give you the desires of your heart. If I delight in the Lord, put Him first in my life, the outcome of that will be He's going to put the right desires in my heart so that I can follow them. And how wonderful it is when we find ourselves in the mainstream of the will of God as He works in our lives. Well, let's look at what these things are. In the latter part of verse 22, pursue, and here again, this is a present tense command in the original language, keep on pursuing righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, it's a life of doing the right thing. And who determines what the right thing is? Well, God determines it. He spells it out in the Word of God. We do the right thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Jesus teaches, and all these other things will be added to you. Here's the antidote to the love of money. Seek the Lord's glory. Seek His kingdom, His righteousness, and the Lord's going to take care of you. I can give testimony. Sixty-six years in this life. Until I was 21 and got married, I was provided for by God through my father. And he did a great job, my mother and father. Tremendous. I never worried whether I was going to have electricity. I didn't worry whether I was going to have running water, a bed to sleep in, or food to eat. Why? Because my dad and mother were taking care of me. Then I transitioned at the age of 21, got married, and all of a sudden the story changed. Now I was the one who was to be the breadwinner. I lived in a little $75 a month furnished apartment. I loved it. I'm not sure my wife did, but I really loved it because it only cost $75, utilities included. It was awesome. And I worked 
five days a week for the U.S. Postal Service, part-time basis, going to college, finishing my college degree. And my wife and I, I was happy. I think she was semi-happy, probably very happy during that time. And the Lord provided for us. We've sought His kingdom and His righteousness. Together we did. And that has been the case, not just because I'm a pastor, but because we were Christians. If we had, for some reason, not pursued the path that we have pursued, God still would have done that. And I can testify to you that the Lord is good on His promise. If we will seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all the necessities and more, actually, will be added to you and to me. The Bible says in this same book, in the second, third chapter, rather, the 16th and 17th verses, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have in this book, the Bible, everything we need to be trained in righteousness so we can pursue righteousness. And it is a wonderful pursuit. It's not a lifestyle of being a stick in the mud. It's a freeing lifestyle. Jesus says, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's no freedom outside of a relationship with the Lord. We are slaves to sin, the Bible says, until Jesus Christ comes and saves us, and as we yield ourselves to Him, He begins to sanctify us, that is, set us apart for His use. Look at the next thing that's incorporated in following Godly desires. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. How is faith developed? By listening to the Word. By reading it. By studying it. By listening to people teach the Word of God, hoping and evaluating if they're rightly dividing the Word of truth. And the result is We grow in faith. The bottom line of sin is outlined for us in Romans 14, 23, where the Bible says, whatever is not from faith is sin. So you see how important it is for us to pursue faith? Incredibly important. It's the opposite of pursuing pleasure. Faith, trusting in the Lord. And by the way, the Bible says in God's right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. You want real pleasure? Find your place in the hand of your God. He is a beautiful provider of pleasure. The next word is love. This is the opposite of self-love. This is love for the Lord and love for other people. This is this uniquely biblical word which means the sacrifice of self in the service of undeserving others. To love our brothers in Christ. To love our sisters in Christ. What a joy it is to have this opportunity. Awesome. And the last term is peace. The word peace here certainly has its roots in the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word shalom. When we think of peace, what do we think of? The absence of conflict is what we think of. But When the Bible speaks of peace, it's not talking simply about the absence of conflict, although that's included ultimately in the Word, but it's the best which God has to offer, the best possible thing that is available to us. God says in the book of Isaiah, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Here's the question for us. Are we following Godly desires. Are we seeking righteousness? Are we living by faith and not by sight? By listening to God's Word and applying His Word to our lives. Are we really loving each other? Are we laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we laying down our lives for our family members? Are we doing this? Do we have peace with God? Well, if we know Christ, we do. Therefore, having been justified by faith, the Bible says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous reconcile to God. But consequently, we will have peace with each other. How can you say that you love God whom you have not seen 
If you do not love your brother whom you have seen, is what the Bible says in 1 John in many places. And here's the final thing we're going to look at. We're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with a certain group of people. Those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, I spent 45 minutes yesterday on this, talking to our students. So don't worry, I'm not going to spend that much time, maybe about five to ten minutes on it. But it, it would beg for more time. What is a pure heart? It's a clean heart. It's a clean set apart heart set apart for God. It's a heart in which Jesus Christ rules as Lord. First Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. This is the kind of life that people that will help us in this race we find ourselves in win the race. We need to hang out with people who have a pure heart, who are pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace and call out on the name of the Lord. We need to hang out with people. That's why we get together in part on Sunday. We come to worship the Lord, but we also come to be with each other. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, so one person sharpens another. This is the context. The body of Christ is the context in which this can happen. So, how can we, after finding such people, maintain a pure heart ourselves? Because we want to be part of the solution, not a continuing part of the problem. Correct? I want to be in that group of people who are calling out on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. And I would hope other people would gain ground by being related to me, being associated with me, that I don't pull people down. To the contrary, because of my walk with the Lord, my following the Lord, pursuing righteousness and these other qualities, that people will be drawn closer to the Lord Himself. It will happen. So how do I keep it? How do I maintain it? I'm going to give you three or four answers to this question. And they're very elementary. I'm almost reluctant to even share them with you, but it's good for us to be reminded of these things. I think the beginning point... And this should come as no surprise based on what we've already seen this morning. is to be found in living according to God's Word. Because the psalmist says in Psalm 119, How can a young man keep his way pure? That would be true for an old man too. How can anyone keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide God's Word in my heart. What will the outcome be? I will have a pure way. My life will be a pure life. The kind of life that God uses and therefore gets glory through. So I need to hide God's Word in my heart. I need to make a habit of pouring over God's Word regularly. Day after day after day. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. I read from a very reputable man that if any person were to devote 30 minutes a day to any subject in solid study, in 10 years' time, that person would have invested the equivalent amount of time to earn a Ph.D. in that subject. Think about it. Let's say you devoted 15 minutes a day for 20 years in serious study of God's Word. In 20 years, you would have invested the amount necessary to have a Ph.D. There's nothing significant about having something to boast about in that regard. But the point is, we are in the Word of God. We hide His Word in our heart. We memorize it so we can meditate on it, so that we can be careful to do everything written in it, so that we will be prosperous and successful according to the Word of God. That's good news. And the big part of the prosperity and success is not material. Hopefully that's been established today too. It's spiritual and we have peace in our lives as well. We have love in our lives. We have faith in our lives. We have righteousness in our lives. So we hide God's Word in our heart. Then we can do what the Bible says, for instance, in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, there's that word, pure, same word which Paul uses here, 
in this passage in verse 22 regarding a pure heart. Pure. Think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. I think about those things which are pure. The Bible is a pure book. I look at it. I can believe it. I can trust it. I can apply it. And the result is that I can have a pure heart. I can call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart with others, which leads to the second suggestion. It's inherent in this commitment. Encourage one another. Within this group of people who are calling out on the name of the Lord from a pure heart, what do we do? We encourage one another. Why? Because the Bible says that we are to encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that our hearts will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a calcifying effect on our hearts, even those of us who have been regenerated. And we have to exercise great diligence and vigilance when it comes to this whole matter of guarding the heart. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart because it is the fountain of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the well comes up in the bucket when you dip down in it. And we need to be on guard. And one of the ways we can be on guard against wickedness taking root in our hearts, even our redeemed hearts, is that we are with our brothers in Christ as we read from Ecclesiastes and Sisters in Christ, what does it say in Ecclesiastes? Two are better than one, for they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, the other can pick him up. Isn't that great? And if you're cold and you've got a buddy with you, you can stay warm on a cold night as you're exposed to the elements. And then... I especially am drawn to this last benefit to make a good defense as over against one. Do you have some brother or sister in Christ or some group of people who have your back? That's part of our responsibility as brothers in Christ, to care for each other, to love each other, to pray for each other. That's a big part of it. Pray for each other. The Bible commands us in the book of Colossians, pray for one another. We have to be clearly transparent with each other if we're going to maintain a pure heart. We work way too hard to cover up the lack of purity in our hearts. We need to confess it to one another and get prayer and be held accountable from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to have this if we're going to be the kind of vessels which the Lord chooses to use. Jesus says, For wherever two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And when we are battling these urges to sin in the area of the love of self, the love of money, the love of pleasure... We have Christ not just with us, we have Him in us. And when we're in a group, it's harder for me to sin in a group of believers than it is when I'm in isolation. Anybody else here like that? It sure is. We have a new school year starting tomorrow. There's some students here. Get with some brothers and sisters in Christ. You may not be able to find too many, but get with them who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. And walk this school year through, it'll make all the difference in the world. If you're in a workplace and you think you're the only believer there, ask God to give you another believer there. So you can have that kind of benefit of having Christ with you there in a different kind of way. And what does Jesus say in effect? Through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. He lives in us. He gives us the strength, but we need to also keep in mind what Jesus says in John 15, 5. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We fail before we ever start if we exclude the Lord in the things which we do and from the things that we do. Now, here's another quick one. There are many more things I could say. I wish we had more time, but this can be dealt with very easily. We draw near to God. The Bible says in James chapter 4, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinful men, and also purify your hearts, you double-minded. You and I cannot get close to God without His presence impacting our purity. He will clean you and me up if we constantly come drawing near to Him, submitting to Him. And then we will have victory. Those are the bases upon which victory over Satan is achievable. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But there must be this submission to the Lord and also drawing near to the Lord. A good word for us as we finish this morning's study of God's Word. And this too, like so much of what I've shared with you this morning, is right from the Word of God. In Psalm 51, David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's the Lord's call to you and me today. If you have any uncleanness in your heart, if you're impure in your heart, be like David. He was fearful that because of his sin, the Lord was going to take His Holy Spirit away from him. Please do not cast me from your presence, O Lord. He was so frightened at the thought. He was broken because of what he had done to the Lord. But the Lord renewed him. He answered his prayer. He restored him. And the Lord wants to do that in your life and mine too. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. May we yield our lives right now. Let's just take a moment in the privacy of your own life. I hope the Lord's spoken to you like He has to me. These verses that we've looked at from the book of Second Timothy. And Would you just take a moment? The Lord knows your heart. He knows everything about me and you. He knows things about us that we do not know about ourselves. And just ask Him to search you and try you and show you if there's any wicked way in you. Would you just ask Him to do that? Would you have the courage to do that? Have you got it? Has He shown you that you love yourself, or you love money, or you love pleasure more than you love Him? Would you name those things to Him and just say, Lord... I see these things. Then would you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm asking you now to forgive me. And I'm asking you now, Lord, not simply to forgive me, but to restore me to yourself. And I'm asking you, Lord, to give me the power to overcome these tendencies. I want to start fresh with you today, Lord. And I'm asking you one more thing, Lord. Please give me some brothers and sisters in Christ who call on your name out of a pure heart that I can walk this life with. Thank you, Lord. Amen.